I'm Andrew Blumenfeld, and this is the Money in Politics podcast. Campaign finance regulations and filings are typically only interesting if you work in campaign finance. And even then, the focus of any intrigue is usually on the bottom line. How much money has this or that campaign raised? How much cash do they have on hand? That sort of thing. But this week, a story from Politico reporter Zach Montalero made some waves by bringing to light a very mysterious campaign finance filing that has left a lot of people scratching their heads. It's a story about a PAC that has seemingly raised and spent millions, only no one can confirm anything from the donors to the spending even exist. On top of being a very curious story that I wanted to make sure you had all heard, I think it also provides a fascinating insight into yet more vulnerabilities in the way in which money is regulated in our politics. Who better to tell the story of this puzzling pack than the guy who wrote it? That's Politico reporter Zach Montalero, who I'm speaking with today. But first, a quick message from Call Time AI. You're listening to Money in Politics, brought to you by Call Time AI. Campaigning is hard. Why not make fundraising easy? Using automation and artificial intelligence, CallTime AI lets you fundraise five times faster with easy-to-use tools like instant donor research, automated voicemail drop, and donor scoring, so that you are always calling the right person at the right time with the right ask. Go online to calltime.ai to schedule a demo and start your free trial today. So I'm here with Zach Montalero from Politico. Thanks so much for being here, Zach. Yeah, thanks for having me. Maybe you could start by just introducing yourself briefly so folks know a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Zach. I am one of the dozen campaign reporters we have at Politico. There I write our newsletter, our campaign newsletter, Morning Score, which I recommend everyone subscribes to. It comes out every single day of the week, except for the weekends. And I also, at this point, cover the process of elections, be it how people vote, polling, money, anything that really doesn't touch on a specific candidate, I kind of pitch in with. Terrific. And I definitely recommend the the morning score. So I wanted to talk to you today about an article that you wrote recently that definitely caught my eye. It was about actually it had a great title. Why don't you share with people what the title of the article was? (laughs) Well, I I can't take credit for the headline that that's, (laughs) you know, I I, I guess that's fair because reporters always complain about the headlines when they're bad. They blame it on the editor. (laughs) That's right. But the headline from the editor was uh, the bizarre tale of a phantom super PAC and our sleuthing to find it. There was a couple words in there I loved, bizarro, sleuthing. It had all the makings of something that I was going to read, and I'm glad that I did. And I'm really excited that you're here to share people to share with people what you found as part of that sleuthing. So why don't you start just by telling folks a little bit about this phantom pack that's referenced in that headline called the Americans for Progressive Action USA. How did you come to learn about them? Why did you write a story about them? What did you find? Yeah, so Americans for Progressive Action USA is a super PAC that I have never heard of. And I, because I have nothing better to do with my life, I guess, um, I pretty <laughs> routinely read FEC filings just as they come in, be it on ProPublica's site, Itemizer, on there's a couple Twitter feeds that aggregate them, or the FEC site itself. And last Sunday and Monday, they this group popped up saying they're spending a combined $2.5 million on six Senate races. And I'm like, huh. I've never heard of that. It's not totally unheard of for boutique super PACs, whatever you want to call them, to pop up kind of pseudo randomly and drop a lot of money. But so I'm like, I'm curious. I want to I want to find out. And then I started digging into this super PAC and I found no evidence that the ads existed. And that really kind of caught my attention. I started kind of going in. And the short version of the story is the further in I got, um, every single vendor listed on the FEC report that I could locate says, not our client. We have no idea who this group is. They don't exist. And 
was there anything about the filing? You, you just mentioned a few things, the vendors that were said to have been worked with, advertisements that were said to have been placed. I know there were also donors that were individually listed. Were there Was there any piece of this that you were able to verify as accurate or was does it seemingly is it seemingly entirely fabricated? Uh, yeah, right now it seems entirely fabricated. I wasn't able to track down all the donors, so I can't say it definitively one way or the other. But basically, top to bottom, everything was super weird. The, there was three donors listed, all Texans. I was I wasn't able to definitively locate anything, so I don't want to say yes or no definitively. But the one one donor's occupation was listed as a attorney investor for the ACLU. The ACLU, of course, said that's not a job. We don't have anyone by that title, either in our national office or anyone with that name in our national office or in the Texas branch. I went through the six vendors I could locate, which include major tech companies, Facebook, Verizon, Google, said not our client, major democratic firms, including uh, GMMB, which is a very large consulting firm, said the first time we heard of this was when you reached out. And then it was just like other small things throughout the filing that would just everything stood out as kind of weird and odd. There's no actual website set up. The, the email address I got a response from when I reached out for more comment, I emailed an iCloud address. I got a response from an email address from a domain that would register the day I reached out with not an actual website. And it's just nothing, nothing really lined up, basically. And the spending itself, aside from the vendors, the advertisements, no evidence that those advertisements have actually begun playing anywhere, have been developed, right? No one's seen these $2.8 million worth of ads, right? No, yeah, I, you know, I, I checked the face, Facebook and Google have a public archive of political ads, and I have my qualms with that, of course, but like it is decent. I could find no evidence of the group spending, and especially on Facebook, which is a little bit more of a nuanced search than Google, I think. No evidence that there was actually ads running. I checked in with people who were working on some of these races or in the Democratic like super PAC universe who should know of somebody dropping $2.5 million. Nobody heard of it. In fact, every time I reached out to somebody, I created a couple of mini monsters because I would just get other people hooked on this. And I'd get like an email. I got an email from a source at 1 o'clock in the morning. goes, I had an idea. And I'm like, oh, goodness, I didn't mean to keep you up at night. <laughs> and you know, the one that really stood out to me, too, is that, I, that the major tech companies, which very rarely – We'll talk to you about things like this. Both of them, representatives for both Facebook and Google, said not just the public database, that it's somewhere on the back end, we couldn't find any spending matching this. So it's just a real strange situation. And you did mention, though, that you got in touch with someone via email. Is that right? Yeah. So the gentleman listed as the treasurer, Evan Jones, uh, I sent an email to, it was an address that he had listed in the uh, statement of organization that you know he had an iCloud address. So I emailed it, go, hey, and this was earlier in the week, just when, you know, before anything went off, I go, hey. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm a reporter. I'm just kind of curious about your mission. Uh, I heard nothing for like six hours. That evening, I got a I got a response from a different domain that was registered. I found out later that day, but from a different domain saying, you know, oh yes, you know, the, you'll be in touch. Our comms team will be in touch with you on Thursday. I said this on Monday. I go, okay, that's kind of odd. Didn't give a name for the comms team, but followed up with an email address. So I, and then I, as I waited to hear back from them, I actually started calling the vendors and looking into the spending and looking into these databases and found no actual evidence of it. And then I, the follow-up emails I sent both to Mr. Jones's original email address and the one from this new domain and the comms team, I air-quoted that, uh, <laughs> went, went, unrespond, went unresponded to. So you mentioned in the article, and this is something that I'm not sure a lot of people know about, so it was one of the reasons I wanted to chat with you today. You mentioned that it isn't uncommon for there to be sort of, you know, non, uh, what, 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 they're, what you call a scam packs, right? So I'll let the title speak for itself, that there's a <laughs> moniker for this kind of activity where a pack is, let's just say, not sort of what you'd expect a traditional pack to be doing when it was fully playing by the rules and, you know, not trying to deceive anyone. But even these scam packs 
that we kind of typically refer to are different from what you see here, right? Can you explain, I guess, first and foremost, what is more normal from a scam pack when you're calling something a scam pack? What are you usually describing its behavior as? And how does what you've seen with the Americans for Progressive Action USA differ even from those kinds of scam packs? Yeah, so would reporters and campaign finance dorks say scam packs, which <laughs> traditionally mean uh, they're organizations that are reporting all legitimate information to the FEC. So that's not a red flag there. But they tend to you know, represent themselves as raising money for a certain political cause, be it we're raising money to help firefighters or we're, we're raising money for, you know, to back nurses or President Trump uh, himself, he, his supporters are a frequent target of scam packs. But what actually happens is that these organizations fundraise all this money, typically from small dollar donors, donors who usually give, you know, less than $200 or, or, or not, not the big money people, not people signing $10,000 checks. And that money all ends up circulated back more or less to the owners and vendors of said pack. What they're doing as far as the FEC is concerned is legal. They're not doing anything illegal with the FEC. What, what the Justice Department has relatively recently actually started to take a more aggressive stance on this. And they've been getting these scam packs for, I think, mail fraud is what they're going after, that they're representing themselves, saying they're going to spend all this money to elect President Trump or to help firefighters or to advocate for firefighters and they end up not doing that. So they've been taking that for mail fraud. But the, the big difference there is that what they report to the FEC is legitimate. They report what they raise. They report their actual vendors. They report their actual owners. They're not fabricating that information. What Americans for Progressive Action USA, from at least as far as I could tell, um, doesn't have an operation trying to raise money from small dollar donors and not trying to bilk your grandmother or your father or you out of 10 bucks over the mail or, you know, a phone call, not trying to raise money. And scam packs don't fabricate vendors because that's an easy way to get taken down. And for what I could tell from, you know, AF or AFPA USA is that they have no actual relationship with the vendors listed. Well, and that's a pretty big distinction, right? Because as I understood your description of scam packs just then, the vendors are key, right? Because the vendors, it's its the fact that the vendors are have a close relationship with or maybe are the same people as those operating the scam pack. That's sort of how they get their, that's how they make their money off of these things, right? They're, they're sort of uh, self-dealing and convincing all of these people that when they're chipping in to support a cause, they're really only going towards providing these vendors, a- aka themselves, some some additional funds. This organization, as you mentioned, only listed vendors that do not seem to have any relationship with them. So I guess that the the obvious question here is, so why on earth would they do this? <laughs> that that remains a really good question, is that <laughs> everyone I talked to, I got wild theories back, but we no one can actually definitively figure out why. I think the one that was floated to me most often and most plausible is that this is some kind of attempt to show some level of influence without actually having to spend the money. That I feel like, hey, look, I just spent $2.5 million backing XYZ candidates. I would like a meeting. There is some level of sophistication behind these filings that would fool you know someone who is not looking very closely at them that that would that would be my best guess but you know the organization never got back to us the pack never got back to me so i don't have a definitive reason why and it was a real head scratcher i had some more sinister theories floated by uh, the dozens of people i reached out to for this story that you know probably should go unmentioned since we can't prove them but it, it, the real the real summary of this is nobody really knows why like why go through all this effort to fake a super pack and the question is eh, i don't know 
Yeah, I think you're right. I won't make you float some of their un- <laughs> unproven theories. Although I'll, I'll here, here, I'll float one of my own, which is that as someone who used to be involved in the process of buying TV ads and placing radio ads, you know, you paid pretty close attention to who else was placing those TV ads and who else was placing those radio ads. And it definitely on a day by day basis, and as you got closer to the election, even potentially hour by hour, it certainly influenced decisions about how to make some pretty big spending uh, choices. If someone else just all of a sudden went up on TV in that little community, you weren't necessarily planning on going up on TV there, but now you feel like you have to because you don't want them to have that ground by yourself. So this is only based in my own experience in reading this. I certainly have no uh, actual insight into why on earth this group did what they did. But when I first read it, I thought, hmm, I wonder if they're trying to leverage FEC filings as a tool for sort of forcing activity from opponents that they might not otherwise have wanted to make. Yeah, one of the things that was really set off alarm bells for me was I reached out to folks, both nonpartisan ad trackers, advertising analytics, as we partner with at Politico quite often, or I guess we pay them probably, but very helpful tracking ads. They never heard of it. They never saw it. And they listed major media buyers. Like These were not firms that were allegedly set up overnight. The firms that they said were buying television time for them were legitimate firms. So that was like a big red flag for us. So you mentioned the FEC and how kind of a traditional scam pack that's that is genuinely collecting money from people, even if under, you know, not totally transparent pretenses and not operating in, in, in a totally kind of above board way, that they may not actually still run afoul of FEC regulations because the FEC is concerned primarily with accurate reporting of contributions and, you know, staying within limits and, and whatnot. This, as you mentioned, is distinct from that. This is riddled with inaccuracies as best we can tell. Um, and in some ways, as best as, as has been verified by you. So I'm curious about what your expectation is with regards to what happens to an organization like this. As we speak, I should add for context, there is still no FEC quorum. And as we've actually discussed before on this podcast, that definitely limits the, the extent of the FEC's sort of enforcement capacity. That sounds like, as we record this, may be changing as we speak. But I'm curious about what your take is on what happens to is it does this kind of thing happen with impunity should we expect there to be some sort of consequence some sort of correction or should we expect to see more of this yeah i'm not really sure so the one thing i'm certainly waiting for is we're recording this on the 8th so on the 20th of this month it's supposed to be released in the next report they're a monthly filer they're supposed to file every month so i'm curious if anything comes out of that the fec has a policy in place that was put in place in 2016 that saw like the rise of the jokey candidates the famous one is d's nuts but it wasn't just him that you know that gives the FEC some leeway without having to take any official action that staff on the FEC can say, mm, this doesn't look like, this doesn't look right. They can send a letter saying, hey, your bank information is off or something like else, something that just doesn't pass the smell test and they can administratively close the commission. I, I would imagine that could be on the table for this. Um, the FEC, of course, cannot comment on individual committees at the moment. They, they just, the something they don't do because they don't want to prejudice any future investigations. But yeah, as you mentioned, right now the FEC doesn't have a quorum. So if they wanted to do a deeper investigation on this or the dozens of other potentially more serious violations, some other committees and other advisory opinions, everything like that, they can't do that right now. That will probably be changing in the next two weeks, I imagine, or in some sort of short time frame. But right now the FEC has a pretty severe backlog of complaints and advisory opinions they need to issue that they just haven't been able to address. 
So I'm curious, uh, you sort of alluded to it in our conversation, but I'm just curious about other reactions that you've received. As you mentioned, there are people who have offered their theories and takes as I couldn't help myself but do the same. But I'm just also curious, as because it is kind of a mystery, because it's something that has still a lot of open-ended questions, and frankly, because so many filings are done that I wouldn't be surprised if, despite the fact that this is, that you've called attention to this one, that there may be others like this. Have you received reactions or responses since publishing the story that have, have I've opened your eyes to other things about this or about other packs. Just curious what people have, have been reacting most strongly to. Yeah. So my first thing is trying to figure out how, what the heck do I write next about this? Is there a next? Is trying to figure out who these donors are, trying to hunt down some potential leads. Are these donors just trying to get in contact with who these people are representing themselves to be? So that's like the next immediate one. And, and some folks have reached out since the story published. And I, I love this because like normally you write about campaign finance and it, it's admittedly kind of boring. It's a very small right. audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and the folks who I expected to, you know, read the story and like the story, retweet the story did. And then other people did too. So I'm like, great. So hopefully I'll find, figure out what that is. But, you know, you know, I'm trying to figure out if this is a is, this is a pattern kind of thing, if there's other super PACs that may mimic this. Because one thing that really stood out to me is both the level of sophistication in these filings. They do things that other traditionally joke candidates wouldn't do. You know, candidate committee is different, but this committee updated its filing frequency, which is not something that most regular people know what that even is, let alone how to do it. They filed several amendments instead of just a one-off joke. They actually filed 48-hour reports, stuff like that. So if they didn't do so in such a large number, if they didn't represent to spend $2.5 million in two days, I don't know if I would have caught it. If I don't think I would have caught it. If they said, hey, we spent $30,000 over the course of two days, I'm not looking into that. There's so many reports. So now at this point, it's trying to figure out is this a pattern? Is there other people replicating this? Or is this just kind of a weird oddball case? Now, let me ask you, I mean, I, I know we were talked about a few minutes ago, but I'm just curious to return to the question of the ads themselves, especially coming out of 2016 and all of the kind of postmortems that were done on how much was happening beneath the surface that we weren't aware of, things that were going un- unreported, underreported, things that were at the behest of foreign entities. I'm just curious, is it especially for those that are not as familiar as you or I might be about how ads are disclosed generally. You mentioned the Google database, the Facebook database, and the fact that you know you can go to ad trackers. But I guess for peace of mind almost, is it possible these to this, that this money was spent on advertisements in places that are just not seeable by us? And all the setting all the other inaccuracies of the filing aside, just talking about the ads themselves, is it possible that $2.5 million was spent on ads, those ads are somewhere, and we just don't have visibility into those ads? Probably not, but maybe. The regulations surrounding political ads are kind of lagging for the internet, especially. Uh, on television, all ads for television are disclosed. You have to disclose them to the FCC. And by you have to, the station does it itself. So we have a public database from the FCC of these ads being spent. Is it a good database? Absolutely not. Does it exist? Yes. But online, there is no such requirement. And, and Facebook and Google have self-regulated in that extent and that they've chosen to do their own databases. But we're basically taking these companies at their word. In this case, I have no doubt that if Facebook said they received $200,000 and Facebook says we have no records of anything matching that spending, I believe them. But that's the problem with these databases online is that it's not a public database. It is it is created and controlled by these companies. Facebook and Google are one of the more public companies with their political advertising, but they Although they are the duopoly of online advertising, they are not the only two companies. I, I, I'm i going to get this number wrong, but they probably make up somewhere between 50 and 70% of online advertising. So they make up a big, big, big chunk between the two of them. But that means there's other companies out there that we don't see. So sure, 
you know, we don't have a good way to track who is spending what online. It's the same with, with mail, with physical mail. You know what's up on TV, but someone can send out a mailer and you don't know it exists. You'll never see the creative of that mailer. You never see the physical printout of that mailer. And the only evidence you'll have that that exists is if that person reports it to the FEC, which they legally have to do. But they don't, they don't have to report the creative. They don't have to report what they say. They don't have to report the context of the ad. They only have to do that for television, basically. It's fascinating. I mean, I, and I think there's the, the the parts of this that that so kind of tickle people's interest, I think, is also the, in some ways, the the gutsiness of it all, right? The bold face of it all. I mean, as you mentioned, if the amount wasn't so large, it probably wouldn't have caught your attention. But then you go a step further, and they they went as far as listing specific vendors, <laughs> which were all at some level easy enough, I'm, I suppose, to get in touch with to have them say, nope, that's not us. And specific donors. I'm curious, do you have thoughts and plans about how specifically, I think there were three donors you mentioned listed. I mean, that's also kind of gutsy to list three specific actual people. Any indication that they're, you mentioned that they're not associated with the organizations that you were able to get in touch with that they were allegedly associated with on the filing, but any indication these are even real people at all? Do you have any sort of sense of whether these are just completely made up people? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to figure that out. The best we could do, I always start when I'm trying to find donors, I start at the employer level because you're supposed to report an employer and say, like, okay, does this person work for where they say they work? Pretty easy to figure out. So that was a red flag for me, but you know, it, it's so tough. There's frankly so many folks in this country who have means, but like choose their privacy and for good reason, right? So I can't definitively confirm or deny if these are real people. <laughs> I'm trying to hunt it down within FEC reports. You do have to report an address, a physical mailing address. So I get, you know, a next step could be literally sending them a physical letter and being like, hey, did you give this money? It's just such an unusual situation. and that information doesn't match up, but it's something that like I have not been able to con- definitively confirm or deny either way. Couldn't find much of a web presence for any of these folks listed. That's for sure. You know, I found maybe a social media account that pr- represented itself as being that person, but there's no way to confirm that that social media account is who they say they are, especially if it's a common name or something like that. So that that's the next step, basically figuring out how do you get in touch with these people? And there's there's good reason for that, right? Like you don't want people to be able to harass people who give political donations. That that you know there is a level of disclosure that if you cross that two hundred dollar threshold, your name is disclosed. But you also don't want people being targeted and harassed for their legitimate political donations. So it's not the easiest thing to track down individuals themselves off these records. So last question for you is kind of a trend line question. As someone who I think you self-identified as a dork, I think was your word, not mine, <laughs> about this stuff. Uh, as someone who does follow these things, as someone who was who was paying enough attention to notice this in the first instance and does this I'm for a living and as best I can tell, also for pleasure. Um, <laughs> what Any trend line here, you alluded to 2016 necessitating actually a rule change from the FEC because there was this rise of sort of joke packs, I guess we'll call them. But as, aside from that... Is this something, despite how odd it is as an individual case, is this something you feel like is on the rise of sort of the, the misuse uh, of FEC filings and sort of the just the manipulation of our kind of regula- regulatory process around elections? Or, or is this sort of just truly a one-off, weird, totally kind of doesn't fit on a trend line anywhere? Yeah, this in and of itself doesn't fit on the trend line. I think what's the most concerning probably trend in campaign finance would be those scam packs. Nobody likes them. The Trump campaign has been very active, actually, kind of oddly so in this case, about actively condemning PACs that take the president's name, but representing themselves to support the president, but don't. Um, that, that, at least to me, was an unusual, aggressive strategy saying, 
ex- explicitly disavowing, you know, X, Y, Z pack saying this pack does not represent the Trump campaign. We think they should be shuttered. Um, but that, that to me remains the more concerning trend that assuming that Americans for Progressive Action USA doesn't actually represent a new kind of weird form of scam packs. It's those original scam packs that kind of pry, uh, prey that prey on people who don't know any better because campaign finance is difficult and tough. If you get an email, if you get a call from a pack that says, we're supporting to elect President Donald Trump. Most people don't have the time to research into every individual pack. If you say help elect President Donald Trump, you think you're supporting, you think they're supporting the president. You think you're support, you're directly supporting the president. If you say you know help advocate for first responders, help advocate for police, and you get something from an official title sounding pack like you know I don't want to give an actual name because I don't want to give an sure. actual pack, but like police pack or something like that, right? right? And you think you're supporting the police, but it goes into the pockets of somebody. That remains a concerning trend. Scam packs, you know, and, and there's nothing really that the FEC can do about it. It's interesting that the Justice Department has picked up on this as with their sort of level of, of enforcement on this and going at it through, you know, mail fraud or misrepresentation and fraud like that. And, you know, because the FEC is really powerless in that arena, as long as somebody is legitimately raising money and then, you know, raising and spending what do they say they're raising and spending. That's about what the FEC can do. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for covering this. It sounds like there's still more left to the story that you're working on, and I'm excited to follow. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to learn more and and help solve some more of this, I think, what was a bizarro case. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks for covering it. Thanks for having me. Stay up to date with the latest fundraising trends, forecasts, and advice by going to the CallTime AI blog at www.calltime.ai. And follow us on Twitter at CallTime AI.